0: For once, you guys have to stand up during the entire sermon, just like I do. Well, good morning. Uh, as you guys are probably aware, on Tuesday, there is a major holiday. Ooh, actually, where did Heidi go? I might need her to turn me down. Ooh, here we go. Uh, that's better. Uh, yeah, Can anyone, does anyone know what Tuesday is? No, it's, it's not Halloween, it's actually uh, Reformation Day. Eew! And so today is actually the day that we celebrate Reformation Sunday. You might have been able to tell, uh, there might be something that gave it away, the picture of Martin Luther that has been on all the slides. And so we're taking a, a, just a short break for this week in our sermon series on uh, the book of 1 John, the letter of John. Uh, and we're just going to deal a little bit with the Reformation. Um, For those that don't know, the Reformation was uh, really fundamental in the establishment of the church as we know it. It was the first major split from the Catholic Church, uh, and so today we're going to be talking about the, the 500th anniversary of Reformation. And my microphone is a little bit too hot, so when Heidi gets back, I want her to turn me down. But she had to run out for a second. So, let's talk about the Reformation. Uh, as you guys know, I'm a little bit of a history nerd. Uh, I apologize for that, but not really, because today is going to be a little bit of a history lesson uh, in amongst some theology. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter two. It was read for us earlier. Uh, that's sort of the key text that we'll use this morning uh, in our journey because it uses uh, the foundation for the Reformation. it is got a a passage of Scripture in here that is the the key to what this Reformation is. And before we get there, I'm just going to walk down and change my mic myself because, hey, why not? I can. So, Reformation. Who is Martin Luther? Martin Luther uh, was a monk or a priest, uh, and he was born in the 14-something or others. I don't actually know when he was born uh, off the top of my head. But he became a priest, He became a guy who was very involved in the church. He was a learned man. A lot of people have this image of Martin Luther as like a a monk with no education. He was actually formally educated. He went to university. Uh, He had the equivalent of a degree in theology. Uh, He was a really smart guy. And he came to a conclusion one day that the state of the church, there was something wrong with the way that church was being conducted. There was something wrong with the state of the church. Because we want to talk about history, and we we learn from history so as not to repeat mistakes, I'm going to tell you what it was. Uh, In the Catholic Church at this time, the word of the Pope was law. The, The rule of the Pope was absolute. To put it in perspective, there were kings and emperors who would get the Pope's permission to do stuff they would come and they would kneel at the feet of the Pope and ask permission. These are kings and emperors and powerful men would kneel in front of the Pope to get permission to do stuff. The Pope pretty much ruled the known world. And if anyone said anything against the Pope, they were put to death as being a heretic. The church was not following the vision that Christ had for it at its inception, but instead had morphed into this incredibly horrendous abomination of the vision of Christ. And so, the church had moved to this point. Martin Luther, being a member of that church, said there's something wrong with this, and so he wrote down a th- what's called the 95 Thesis, um, and he marched it up to the church doors where he was in Germany, and he nailed them to the church doors. Now, that seems a little weird, right? Like, uh, if you've got a problem with the way I preach, I don't expect you to walk up to the church doors and like put a note on there. Uh, you might send me an email or you might write me a letter or something like that, but you wouldn't walk up to the foyer doors and, and like, well, here's my problems. But what was very interesting, and I found that out this in my research, this was actually entirely normal. Uh, what happened was when you went to college, one of the things that you were actually expected to do was come up with a position and then be able to publicly defend it in a debate or argument. And the way that you let people know that you were ready to publicly defend that uh, idea or position is that you would take your outline and you would post it in a public place so that people could read it. Uh, And so even the day that he posted it on, which was the 31st of October, uh, All Saints' Eve, was uh, a day specifically chosen for people in the theological field to be able to post these debates. And so when we look at it a couple of hundred years removed, in fact, 500 years removed, because it was on 15, in 1517 that he did this, so it is literally the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, uh, it, that was completely normal behavior. We look at it 500 years removed, and we say, well, that's kind of weird. Uh, but this is what Martin Luther was expected to do as part of his public discourse was to post what he thought was the problems with the church and a position statement and how we fix it and so that was what the 95 thesis is if you ever hear that in conversation and theological service uh, circles now you know what we're talking about so we can move on the basis of his 95 thesis now while this didn't appear correlated in one place in Martin Luther's Lifetime. this actually came up a little bit later when everyone put everything together, but there were five solas, uh, as you can see there, the Latin sola, which literally means alone, and we call them solas uh, of the Protestant Reformation, and they all, uh, what they are is a foundational set of biblical principles. Now, if you were here for our doctrine series or you've been paying attention in the last year and a half, I don't think any of these five are going to be new to you. I don't think we're going to get to any of these where you're going to be like, wow, I never heard Captain Jonathan preach on this before. Uh, No, this is foundational biblical principles. But I wanted to give uh, credit where credit is due, and this is what Martin Luther came up against. So uh, Martin Luther, the reformer, claimed that the Catholic Church had usurped divine authority or qualities for the church and its hierarchy and so what martin luther started his opening salvo if you will was that the church has gone off the rails the church is not the way that christ intended it to be uh that he he after reading scripture found out or came to the conclusion that the way church was supposed to be was Christ was the head, and that was it. There wasn't supposed to be a pope that could kill people just because he didn't like them. And so he came up with this position that said, you know, we need to change things, and these are the things that we're going to change. So if you're a note-taker, if you're an A-type personality and you want to take a note, I'm looking at a specific person who always takes notes. Uh, This is the first note. There are going to be five of these, so you know for room on your little notepad. There's going to be five of these solar principles and the first one is sola scriptura or scripture alone and its main point and focus is scripture over tradition scripture over tradition now here i want to just specify a couple of things there is nothing wrong with tradition there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a set standard for your worship services If you've been coming here for the last year and a half, you will know that only once in that year and a half has our bulletin changed in format for the last year and a half. That's a tradition that we do, so everyone knows what to expect, so everyone is comfortable in this atmosphere because people don't do well with change. Tradition by itself is not bad, but if we were to elevate that tradition over the authority of Scripture, that's where things start to go off the rails and martin luther described it like this scripture must govern over church traditions and interpretations which are themselves held to be subject of scripture so this is what he said is church tradition is fine as long as it's been governed by scripture church tradition is fine as long as it is based in scripture church tradition is fine if it is supported by the full counsel and weight of scripture and so when we gather together the reason that we sing songs Is because the bible tells us to sing praise and worship and spiritual hymns to the father the reason that we open scriptures and we read scriptures together is that because the scriptures itself tells us not to go away from public reading of scripture not to shy away from it but to continue to read scripture publicly the reason that we stand and we uh someone preaches the word of god week after week after week is because we see that example of scripture of jesus himself standing up and saying this is scripture this is what god says here's how it's fulfilled in in me and in my teaching and uh, he stood up in the the very temple of god and he opened the scroll of isaiah and and read it out and so these things are part of church tradition and i keep bumping into that Uh, these things are part of church tradition but they're also part of scripture does that make sense say amen or i'm going to stick to this point for another 20 minutes i keep telling seahawks game today is at 105 so if you want me to i can keep going say amen otherwise i'm going to keep you here all church tradition creeds and teachings must be in unity with the teachings of scripture as the divinely inspired word of god all creeds, everything that we do. And so if you were to open up your songbook and you were to turn to the doctrines of the Salvation Army, you would find that every single one of those doctrines is rooted firmly and absolutely in Scripture. There is not a single doctrine of this church that goes against the teaching of Scripture. There is not a position or a uh, position statement that we have that goes against the teaching of Scripture because our very first doctrine says that the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments were given by inspiration of God and that they only constitute the divine rule of Christian faith and practice, which is a simple way of saying this. Everything that we do must come from Scripture. That's why you guys still play the timbrel. Because if that wasn't in the book of Psalms, I would have X'd that a long time ago. Just saying. I am i can be honest with you, right? If church is not a place to be honest, I hate the timbrel. I'm not a good salvationist. I hate the timbrel. I'd get rid of it if I could, but I can't, so I don't, so I won't. Anyway, moving on. Second solar. See, we're, we're moving through these quite fine. Uh, second one, solified, which means faith. It means faith alone. Solified, the idea that. Faith is more important than works. That faith is over works. And what this Sola asserts is that good works are not a means or requisite for salvation. Uh, Again, I know I've talked about this before, so I won't dwell very long on this. But over and over and over and over again, I tell you that you cannot do a good work to get into heaven. That's not the way that Scripture teaches that salvation works. Uh, the Bible teaches very clearly that salvation is a gift of God and it is not by our own work so that none of us can boast. Uh, the way that Soulified is defined here is the teaching that justification being declared just by God is received by faith alone without any need for good works on the part of the individual. Now, this is a good sort of topic for after Friday night because we had people here this entire week that spent a good 40 to 50 hours volunteering for this carnival, this community carnival, giving back to this church, Uh, while that is good and is born out of a servant's heart, that is not going to save you. Volunteering for 50 hours in a week is not going to save you. Tithing is not going to save you. Bell ringing is not going to save you. Sitting in church and warming a pew is not going to save you. You're only saved through faith in Jesus Christ. It seems simple because it is. I'm having a really bad, you know what? There's a reason this is supposed to be on this side. People change my setup and I can't handle it. See, this is where I stand. This seems really simple. You're saved through faith. So simple. And yet, isn't it amazing how many people get this wrong? Now, the reason that Martin Luther wanted to bring this up and bring this to the forefront and attention is because here in 1517, people believed that they were saved by the amount of money that they could tithe to the Catholic Church. They believed that they could be saved through the buying of what was called is uh, indulgences, uh, little uh, historical religious relics. Uh, there were pieces of the cross of Christ that they said were true pieces of the cross. That's, that's another topic whether or not they were true or not but if a person bought one of these indulgences it was equal to salvation so they could do whatever they want monday through saturday they could live whatever lifestyle they wanted there was no repentance there was no belief but if they just spent enough money the catholic church said sure you can get into heaven if you just spend enough money you'll be you'll be fine uh the catholic church around this time invented the doctrine of purgatory which is found nowhere in scripture and purgatory was an in-between place. So if you died without saying, uh, getting the last rites or your last confession, you would go to purgatory. And I'm not even joking. Your family could give money to the church to get you out. Uncle so-and-so passed away. Did he have the last rites? Nope. Well, I've got to give five bucks to the church. Solified the teaching that it is faith. The good works are seen to be the evidence of saving faith. Works are the evidence of faith. We read this in the book of James, that faith without works is dead faith, and that after you were saved, it should change your hearts to do good. You don't do good to get a changed heart, but your changed heart through Christ enables you to do good deeds. Amen? Amen. Moving on. Sola gratia grace alone. And this simply means grace over merit. Specifically, excludes the merit done by a person as part of achieving salvation. Um, God did not save you because you were so star-spangled awesome that he needed you into heaven to make things complete. I know uh, in, in some... Big churches, they try and teach this doctrine that uh, God was lonely, so he created you because he wanted a relationship. Have you, have you heard that before? God, God created you, and we'll get this to the, the, at the very end because the la- of the last solar. but God created you for his glory. That was the reason that everything that has been created was created, for his glory. God wasn't lacking anything. God wasn't lonely. He wasn't sitting there going, man, you know, it's been eternity but I'm just bored. I wonder what I can do. Ooh, let's make a bunch of people who are going to rebel against my name and sin against me constantly. That'll be fun for a couple thousand years. Like, Sorry, I'm not trying to make light of this. I am I'm, I'm, I'm being a little flippant to try and make a point. God wasn't lonely. God didn't need us. We didn't make God complete. The idea of grace alone, that grace over merit, Uh, specifically excludes the idea that you and I did anything in our lives and in and of ourselves to merit salvation. We didn't. Any good and righteous deed that you and I can do, uh, Scripture tells us that are like filthy rags to God without our hearts first being transformed by the love of Christ. So if you think that you can do stuff and do righteous stuff and that merits your salvation you were completely 100% wrong. And again, Martin Luther here was preaching against the church's uh, expectation and teaching. Uh, what the church was teaching at this time is that if you just do enough, if you just be enough, if you are just awesome enough, then you merit that salvation. If you wear the right clothes, have enough money, God forbid, have the right skin color, that merits your salvation. But the teaching of Scripture is completely opposite to that. We believe that God saves only by grace and not at all by merit, but man enabled by prevenient grace is enabled by the Holy Spirit to understand the gospel and respond to faith. The prevenient grace just means the grace that goes before. And so that you and I have this prevenient grace in our life and the Holy Spirit illuminates the darkness of our sin and comes into our lives and convicts us of that sin and then opens up the gospel to us for our understanding and that the gospel is then illuminated in the darkness of sin and that that gospel then penetrates our dark hearts and we become uh, saved through that. Again, it's not because you and I are awesome by our nature. We're not. We're sinners and we are bad people. We're bad, bad people. Kathy, uh, I mean, uh, Carol laughed at me, but she knows what I'm talking about. The book of Psalms says that God looked down upon mankind to try and find a single righteous person, and he couldn't find a single one. I want you to think about that and dwell on that for just a second, that God, who is outside of eternity, looked down upon mankind, the entire width and breadth of time and history, everything past, everything present, and everything future, and couldn't find a single righteous person not even one it's how we respond to the gospel which brings us to the fourth sola i told you we were going to move through these very quickly solus christus christ alone that'd make a great song christ over sacraments Again, the Catholic Church taught that if you came to church, you did confession, you got baptized, you could do whatever you want Monday through Saturday as long as Sunday you got forgiven by the priest. As long as you paid enough money, did enough good works, did this, did that, did that, you were fine. And so what Martin Luther tried to do was to emphasize the role of Christ over sacraments. Solus Christus or only Christ... Is the teaching that Christ is the only mediator between God and man, and that there is no, uh, there is salvation through no other. That so, not only is it only Christ that where our salvation comes through, but there is also no other mediator. And so he said that the people who pray to Mary for mediation are doing it wrong, and he said the people who uh, uh, rely on other faiths to get to heaven are wrong. And he said the only way, according to the very words of Christ to get into the presence of the Father is to go through the Son. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one or no man comes to the Father except through me, he didn't add a little asterisk at the top and at the bottom it says, except if you believe in Islam, Buddha, or or Hinduism, or spiritualism, or neo-spiritualism, or paganism, he didn't add an addendum or an asterisk, he said, I am the only way to get to heaven and the catholic church at this point had gone off the rails and so martin luther said it is important because people's souls are at stake if we're not teaching the truth of, a, of scripture if we're not doing that sola scriptura if we are not teaching that people are saved by grace through faith in christ alone then people are going to go to hell and we can't be complicit in that in 500 years has anything changed except for the the culture on the outside has changed now we have to be loving and accepting of all lifestyles and all religions and all sorts of spirituality but the teaching of scripture has remained the same since christ came and gave it to us and that is christ is the only way to have eternal life nothing else counts You can spend your entire life running around doing good deeds but if your heart has not been changed by the indwelling nature of the holy spirit you will not go to heaven this is important look in the salvation army we believe that hell is real and if we believe that hell is real it means that real people are really going there and if you understand the realities of hell as taught by christ in scripture jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in scripture put together if you understand the realities of hell you will understand that we don't want anyone to go there that's why scripture says that the desire of god's heart is that everyone be saved because god understands the reality of hell God understands how bad it is, and God doesn't want people to go there. So, if we are complicit in souls going to hell because we try and teach a doctrine other than that found in Scripture, you and I have blood on our hands. And again, I'm not saying that. The Book of Ezekiel says that when God comes to Ezekiel and says, "You're my watchman," and if you do not preach what I tell you to preach, and people uh, don't go to uh, and people don't listen to you, and they go to hell because of you decided not to preach to them, their blood is on your hands. And he said, if you do preach and people just ignore you and refuse to listen, then that's their own thing and they're responsible for it. But if you don't preach the message that I've given to you, you're complicit. And scripture doesn't change. And so that is true for us today. Solus Christus is the teaching that Christ is the only mediator between God and man and there is no salvation through any other means. got an amen that's all i need just one and we're going to end our time together discussing perhaps my favorite of these solas um this one was so important to me that i got it tattooed on my arm in case you're wondering just so you know uh, i like to be a little fair at the top of a sermon i like to, you know i i have favorites this is my favorite For the glory of God alone. God over man. Solideo gloria is the teaching that all glory is to be due to God alone, since salvation is accomplished solely through His will and action. If you read Scripture in the way that you put yourself at the center of the story, you're reading Scripture wrong. The story of Scripture is not about mankind. The story of Scripture is about God. It's about God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, God's glory throughout all of human history. Scripture is primarily the story of God. Now, underneath that, there are other stories there that we can glean wisdom from, and we can uh, set our lives to a certain path according to what Scripture teaches, but primarily... The one reason, though, the primary reason for Scripture is to bring glory to the name of God. And again, if you don't believe me, that's fine. Read the Bible. There are over 350 mentions of different events happening in Scripture to the glory of God. And because you asked, I'm going to, to tell you a couple. Uh, earth was created for the glory of God. Uh, Abraham was saved for the glory of God he was established as a nation and a people for the glory of God the children of Israel went into captivity in Egypt for the glory of God and then they were brought back out of Egypt for the glory of God they went to the promised land for the glory of God they conquered the promised land for the glory of God they set up the city Jerusalem for the glory of God they built the temple in Jerusalem for the glory of God and then they were taken off into captivity by the Babylonians and the Syrians at different times both for the glory of God and they were then returned back to the nation of israel guess what for the glory of god and then they obeyed god and the prophets came to bring god uh, god glory and bring glory to his name and then jesus came and jesus himself said i have come that the father might be glorified just to name a few and then revelation teaches that the new heaven and new earth will come for the glory of god that there will be angels whose job it is even now to uh, repeat over and over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, only His name is due glory. The, the book of Philippians says that all glory is due to God. I don't, I'm, I'm not making this up, but we, try, we minimize it. Here, in general, in the church specifically, we minimize the glory of God. We minimize the, the, the role of the glory of God in our lives, that we should be doing everything for the glory of God. We had a fantastic carnival on Friday night where nearly a thousand people came through our doors and we did that so that God's name could be glorified. As much as I love kids, I didn't do it so you guys could get candy. I didn't do it so you could show off your costumes. I did it so that people would know that we're a church that glorifies the name of God and want to follow his instructions of being the hands and feet of Jesus in our community as he commands us to be. So that God can be glorified. The glory of God. The teaching that all glory is to be due to God alone. God alone. The problem is when we read scripture and we put ourselves into the story as the hero like i've used this as an example before i'll use it again because it's a good example when we teach sunday school and we teach the story of david and goliath you come very quickly to the conclusion that there's only four roles in the entire story Uh, there's god there's goliath there's david and then there's the israelites is that a fair assessment only really four characters in that story so, so what we do is, we, when reading a story, you insert yourself into the role uh, that you think you are. You insert your, ro- yourself into the role of the hero of the story when you're reading it. And so what we do is we teach the story of David and Goliath to our kids, and we're like, all right, guys, now you can face the giants in your life because you're David, and you can overcome with God's power, and you can face the giants of your life. And while that is true to an extent, it's not the primary point of that story, first off, it's a historical fact. I'm not saying it's not. It is completely real. It has happened. It's historical. But there was a greater point to that story. Now, if there's four characters in that story, there's David, Goliath, the Israelites, and God. Are you God in that story? No. Are you Goliath in that story? No. That only leaves two people, right? Uh, David and the Israelites. Uh, the problem is, is that Jesus is David. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the greater David. Which means we have one character left for us to, to, to fill the role of. And that's the Israelites over in the corner, cowering because we don't properly trust in God, and we need Jesus to come and save us. See, see the story of David and Goliath is this foreshadowing of Jesus conquering Satan's sin and death for us because we were not powerful enough to do it ourselves and it was done so that god could be glorified the cross of christ was accomplished so that god could be glorified and these were the five statements of the reformation sola scriptura scripture alone solified faith alone Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola Christus, Christ alone. And Sola Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. And I can tell you that on this, the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther, those five things are still foundational to the Christian faith each one is found played out in the doctrines of the Salvation Army. Each one is a way of explaining our faith. And so thank you for indulging me for my little history lesson today. I'm going to pray, and then Heidi's going to come up and sing our final benediction. But I want you just to reflect for a moment, if we could, on men who came before and who were martyred for their faith, men who died in obscurity because they were ostracized, men who followed the call of God in their lives to upset the balance of the church because it had gone away from what God intended it to be. Something I didn't mention. One of the results of the Reformation, which people don't really... um, count too much is the understanding that if we don't need a mediator other than Christ then there was nothing stopping women from becoming clergy and so it was actually the reformation that started women being in leadership roles in churches the first three women who took over major areas were all martyred for their faith because they dared to stand up and preach the word of God and the only thing that they did was that they were female These people came before us, and I think to ignore their legacy is a mistake, because time and time again, history teaches us that if we don't learn from our mistakes and we don't learn from history, we will make the same mistakes over and over again, and there's a whole bunch of new mistakes to make, so let's not repeat the past. Amen? Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to come together today into your presence, and just remember the men and women of the Reformation the men and women, some of whom laid down their lives in the ultimate sign of devotion to you that said, preaching the word of God as it is written is more important to us than whether or not we lose our lives. That they were bringing glory and honor to your name above even their own safety. We pray for you raising up men like Martin Luther who are smart men who can write these things down and articulate points that maybe others wouldn't been able to we thank you for these people who responded to their call on your on their lives i pray lord that if anyone here has such a calling on their lives that they not be afraid or ashamed to follow that calling we love you lord and we thank you today for the opportunity to come into your presence and learn more about your word and your works for our potluck after the church, Lord, I pray that you bless the hands that prepared it, you bless the food to our bodies and the fellowship around the table. And I pray all these things in your son's precious name, in the name of Jesus, amen.